please turn in your New Testaments to Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32, as we continue Christmas through eyes of anticipation. And this is the very word of God to us this morning. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and a glory to your people, Israel. It was 1915, and what started as a pursuit of glory was reduced to a prayer for survival. They were attempting to be the first men to cross Antarctica, on the ice to make it to the South Pole, but deep into that frozen continent, disaster struck this expedition led by Sir Ernest Shackleton of Britain. The ship that they were sailing in and moving the ice out of the way was trapped suddenly in the ice and crushed and sank. And so they pulled as many provisions out of the ship as they could. They pulled the lifeboats out and There were no helicopters at this time. There were no radios. There was no way of communicating with the outside world. And it was just up to them on foot across the ice of Antarctica to walk across the continent back out and make it to safety and to drag the lifeboats every step along with them because the last part of their journey would be across a sea. So, it all came down, this 27 men, staggering courage. It all came down after this incredible struggle to to one daring attempt. They, They made it all the way across the ice. This is through the winter in Antarctica. They made it across the ice. They made it to Elephant Island, which is just right on the edge of, of Antarctica. And Ernest Shackleton and a few of the crew would sail with homemade sails one of the lifeboats. Are you ready for this? From Elephant Island, 870 miles across one of the most raging seas in all of God's creation called the Weddell Sea, particularly raging at this time of year, in a lifeboat with a homemade sail, they would try to sail to South Georgia Island, where there was a whaling station, and send a boat back to rescue the rest of them. The rest of them simply had nothing to do but to stay on the shores of Elephant Island and to wait for the boat to be sent back. We will be back for you, Ernest Shackleton said 
very loudly before he got in the lifeboat. And they watched the little lifeboat disappear over the horizon. And weeks went by. And then months went by. And uh, I read to you a little bit of the account of what they did every day. Quote, as always, almost everyone tramped up to the top of the bluff to satisfy himself that there was no rescue ship on the horizon. Every day they would climb to the bluff just to look and see if Shackleton was returning. Their whole life was a matter of waiting and watching for the rescuer to come. But would Ernest Shackleton come? I read to you from, and you might want to write this down, it is a phenomenal book. I've mentioned it before. I read it about 10 years ago and have reread it, actually. Alfred Lansing's book called Endurance about Shackleton's adventure. Lansing says, quote, for 23 castaways on Elephant Island, August 30th began like almost no other day. Someone was climbing the bluff yet again to look out over the horizon. It had been four months and six days since Shackleton and the others left in the lifeboat. Suddenly, the rest of them in the tents heard footsteps running down the path. Marston put his head through the hole in the tent and said, Hadn't we better send up smoke signals? For a moment there was silence, and then as one man they understood together what Marston was saying. There was such a rush of men tumbling over one another, diving through the door hole of the tent, which was immediately torn as they burst through. Some put their boots on, some did not bother. James put his boots on the wrong feet, he recalls. Sure enough, there was a small ship about a half a mile offshore. The ship approached within several hundred yards and stopped. The men ashore could see a lifeboat being lowered from the boat. Four men got into the lifeboat, followed by a sturdy, square-set figure they knew so well. Shackleton. A spontaneous cheer went up on the beach. Shackleton had come, and they were rescued. There's always drama in a rescue. And there's drama in the waiting for a rescue. I want to ask, have you ever had to wait for something important in your life? Yes, you have. Have you ever had to just keep watching and waiting and hoping? Well, in our text, this is what we find. We find a man waiting for a rescue. And in a matter of speaking, he is... He's at the lookout post. He kind of climbs the bluffs every day to to scan the horizon to see if the Messiah is here yet. To see if the rescuer has come. He is waiting, we read in the text, for, quote, the consolation of Israel. That that time when when God's Christ or Messiah would come and, and rescue and renew His people, bring peace and joy under the reign of Yahweh. We remember that prophecy in Isaiah 40, which talks about the Messiah in that chapter. Comfort ye, comfort my people, the consolation of Israel. And for this man, there was not a day that went by that he did not look furiously for the Christ. Every day he watches. 
Now, there is a, a reason, actually there's two reasons that this particular man is so vigilant in, in waiting and watching for this rescuer. The first has to do with the big promise, the fact that God had promised his people a rescuer, and he believed in that promise. The second has to do with a special promise given to this man and no one else that the Holy Spirit had told this man that he actually would not die before he had seen with his eyes the Lord's Messiah or the Lord's Christ. So I'd like to first look at the big promise, and then I'd like to look at the special promise the big promise kind of starts in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, in a relationship with God where everything that our hearts could hope for was given and more. Total satisfaction. Total fulfillment and joy and presence of God. Well, Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they were cast out of the Garden of Eden into a world of sin and toil and worry and difficulties, and they had fallen from God, and, and there was nothing they could do to re-enter the garden. In fact, God forbid them to re-enter the garden, nor there was any way for them to come back to intimate fellowship and relationship with God. And in the midst of, of all this wreckage, and what are called the curses, God says this to the serpent who deceived Eve. In Genesis 3.15, it is the first mention of the rescuer in the Bible, the first mention of the Messiah. He says to the snake in hearing of Adam and Eve, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will crush your head, and you will strike his head. And what do we see here? In the midst of all this hopelessness is this promise that one would be born. There's a rescuer coming who will demolish the evil one, reverse the curse, bring people back into the fellowship and relationship with God. Now, Adam and Eve conceived a child. And uh, you remember what the first child born is? His name was Cain. And we believe that, that Adam and Eve named him Cain because they believed in this promise. The word Cain simply means we have the man or here he is. Isn't that interesting that they thought, man, we didn't have to wait long at all for this. Here he is. Here's the deliverer. Well, we know that Cain was not the deliverer. He killed his brother Abel. God gave another child to Adam and Eve named Seth, and it is out of Seth's line that there is this thousands of years long lineage and line of people who, who seek God and who wait on the, the rescuer to be given. And we come on down to Genesis 12, and God appears to a wandering Aramean named Abram, and he reissues this promise and he adds some details about land and family and, and a lot of different things. But basically he says this, that through your seed, through somebody that will be born out of you, Abraham, will be the one who will save the nations. 
So they continue to watch and wait. Now they know the Savior is going to come from Abraham or from the Jews. And as they wait, there are more clues. We call them prophecies now. And we, we kind of think about these during this time of year. That the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49.10. That the Messiah, the rescuer, would come from the lineage of David through David's father, Jesse, Isaiah 11.1. That the Messiah would not only come from Judah, from David, but uh, would be born of a virgin. That this, you see, it's kind of turning into a funnel of more specificity as we wait. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And then finally, that he would be born in the city of Bethlehem. Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, out of, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, even ancient of days. You see, it's from the Jews, it's from Judah, from David, from a virgin in Bethlehem. And this is an incredibly long wait. Do you know how many years it is from roughly from the promise given to Abraham of this rescuer until the time of Christ? It's a little bit more than 2,000 years. Some people think 2016 or 2018 years. That's a long time. But you know, in every year of those 2016 years, there were people who climbed the bluffs, looked out at the horizon, and anticipated, longed for, and waited for God's Messiah, God's Rescuer, to come. And this man, Simeon, as we break into this story, that's who he is. And he is that because he is a righteous and devout lover of God. We read that in our text. And the big promise of a Messiah is driving him to wait and to watch. But then that brings us to this special promise given to Simeon. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's an amazing thing. That'd be like God telling you, you won't die before Jesus returns. You would know for a fact that one day, one morning in your life, you would wake up and Jesus would return. That would give you a certain sense of anticipation every day. Well, one day, because all the promises of God actually come one day, don't they? They actually happen in our lives. And God is good for His promises. And through Jesus, they are all yes and amen. But one day, it happened. Verse 27, And He came in the Spirit into the temple... And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was according to the custom of the law, he intercepted Mary and Joseph. He knew by the Spirit that was the Messiah. I mean, you can just imagine as they're carrying their newborn. Uh, we've baptized a few newborns. Can you imagine just being grabbed? Uh, and he takes the child into his arms. 
and bless God because here he is. We have got the man. Here he really is, right here, right now. And, I, and the hopes and the fears of all the years as we sing are just met in this moment for Simeon. The longings of a thousand generations are fulfilled right there in his arms as he holds the promised salvation. He says, this is the salvation that you have promised and prepared before all the peoples. I mean, it is an amazing moment. Can you imagine how filled with joy uh, this very old man named Simeon is? The consolation of Israel, the rescuer, has arrived. And Simeon declares, you've got to love it. You can let me die now, Lord. The apex of my life has just happened. Just as you have promised, I have held my salvation as he is beholding the light of God in the face, so to speak, of this little infant. Advent is about longing and waiting. But Advent is about the fulfillment after longing and waiting as well. That's what Advent means. It means the coming. It means the, the, the breaking in. So let me ask you, and, and this fulfillment is very sudden in our text. Let me ask you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are you longing for? You know, we, we long for many things deep in our hearts and we we long for consolation we long for comfort we long for love we long for meaning and we long for peace and many other things and you know this this text helps us understand that that it has to be god and god alone who and, and by his appointed means that he can bring us what our hearts long for and and through the one that he has sent. In fact, when, when we take this thing into our own hands to try to fulfill our own longings through our own means, it, it never goes well. It, it becomes a counterfeit that, that is less than the promises of God being fulfilled in our lives. That's what this is about. We can behold, we can behold that baby in Simeon's arms and marvel. To this morning, that God has come for us. You see, these things are written so that we would know here He is. He is here. God has come to rescue us, and, and we can marvel at this, and we can be grateful for this, and, and, and we can move to this table set by Jesus before us and behold Him not as a baby in Simeon's arms, but behold Him on a cross. And when we see, yet again, the Son of God who came for us on a cross, then we know the tangibility and the reality of God's love. That's how real it is. Then we know, again, that we can trust in this Savior. You understand? You can trust in a Savior who dies for you. You can trust in a Savior who dies for you. Whatever it is, these longings, these fears, we must see it yet again in Luke chapter 2. We must see it yet again 
right there in vivid color on the cross, we know that God loves us because He has put up one monument to His love above all, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so I say to you, bring your deepest longings to Him today. You know, some people say, they'll stand up and they'll say, now we need to leave all our troubles outside before we come into worship. That's ridiculous. Where else are you going to bring them? No, we need to bring all the deepest longings and struggles of our hearts right here to the God who loved us enough to be born as a baby and die on the cross. Here, this table says, here he is. Let him love you today. Let him fill you today. Let him change you all that we might love others with that love. And all while we wait like Simeon. You see, we're not Simeon waiting for the first coming. We're like Simeon waiting for the second coming of Jesus. I don't know if you ever think about that. In light of what we prayed for, in the shootings, in light of all the things that we see, you know there's, there's going to be an end point to that, and there's going to be a time when Christ returns and will renew all things and make them all right and just, make them all beautiful and all in the presence of His unending reign, spatially with His people. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, Now there is in store for me, Paul is saying, Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. I want to read to you in conclusion uh, just a, a sentence that I read from a blog on the Gospel Coalition website. Actually, my wife Gina pointed it out to me. By the way, the Gospel Coalition website, you might want to write that down. That's a great place for teaching, thegospelcoalition.org, I guess. But this is uh, from a, a man named Timothy Paul Jones. And he said this, In Advent, believers confess together, that the infant who drew his first ragged breath between a virgin's knees has yet to speak his final word. Isn't that true? And yet, and yet, because of the empty tomb, the renewal has started and the kingdom of God is among us and we, through the cross, we, through the power of the resurrection of this same Jesus, get to be a part of that in our world today. So, in the supper, let us behold our salvation. Let us look to Him to fill our lives. Let us ask Him that we might be a part of His renewal in the world. And let us watch and wait here at the table for His glorious return. Let's pray. Lord, would You cause us to go back to the steps of the temple that day and to realize that the longing and the waiting was met 
as Simeon beheld in his arms your rescuer, your Messiah, our Messiah. Oh Lord, would you help remind us how much we need a Messiah? And God, we, we humble ourselves before you in profound gratitude that you would come and live among us. And Lord, we know for certain you're not manipulating us. You're not like other gods that demand more and more sacrifices to them. You sacrifice for us. Lord, would you help us to trust in you this morning? Would you help us, even in this supper, to bring the longings of our lives to you? And Lord, as we have tangible signs that we will place in our mouths, like food to be filled, and bread and the fruit of the vine, would you also fill our hearts and that with worship? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.